0: Well, let's look at this. It's not as, once you, once you grasp the big picture here, you'll understand what Jesus is doing. So let's un- unpack this. First of all, Christ brings the law to its destination. Christ brings the law to its destination. Notice Jesus writes here, or not Jesus, but uh, Matthew wrote what Jesus said. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Abolish. Kataluo. Kataluo means to set aside, to invalidate, to negate the law and the prophets. Of course, Jesus would not say that. So we have here the law and the prophets. Now I know the first thing that you think of is Mount Sinai, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. That would be right thinking to a certain degree. Um, It was true that Moses did go up to Mount Sinai. He spent time with God and he came back with uh, two stone tablets. And these were the Ten Commandments. Let me remind the church today that it's not just the Ten Commandments when we talk about the Mosaic Law. It is not just the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments wholly given by God are not the extent and the full measure of the law. What I want you to understand here is that the law, the Ten Commandments, is a snapshot of the entire Old Covenant. So these are the things that you do, and then he goes through, Moses does, he goes through, and he articulates the stipulations of that law. So it's not people, I I get it, people get confused. They say, well, you know, he didn't come to abolish the law. Does that mean it's still applicable to us today? And I'll get into that in just a few minutes. But here, the fact is, and this word uh, law is the word nomos. And this is a word referring to the Old Testament. So it's not just the law. Nomos refers to the Old Testament. Then he mentions here the prophets. Prophetes, prophetes. Prophetes is a proclaimer of God's utterances. So when we talk about the law and the prophets, we are talking about every prophet, going back to Moses, every prophet who, who ever wrote anything about the utterances of God. Because we did not know how the world created unless God didn't communicate that to Moses. Moses wrote that down in Genesis. Moses was not there when the world was created. So we are talking here, the law and the prophets, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, here I am today, everything back, I've not come to destroy. Think, think of it this way. If Jesus got rid of the Old Testament, we would not know the creation of the world. We would not know the fall of man. He, he, there is there's something going on here. Now, the prophets, here's the major prophets, and here's the minor prophets. The major prophets are grouped together because the letters are quite large. A lot of the major prophets also point to something in the future. Uh, The minor prophets, Micah, uh, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, they have an element of of future in there too, but they're called small because, or the minor prophets, because they are short in, in their writing. Here's the thing. When Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Jesus was, in fact, talking about the summation of the Old Testament. You read the story of Joshua, talking about the prophets. You read this about Micah, you're talking about the prophets. So it's not just delegated or uh, centered on the Mosaic Law. It is the entire Old Testament. R.T. France wrote in his commentary, the Law and the Prophets are a regular Jewish name for the entire Old Testament occurs in 11.3. That's Matthew 11.3 with the verb prophesied. So the whole Old Testament, the Law, as well as the Prophets pointed forward to what Jesus has now brought into being so when you go back and you study by the way genesis i i, I wrote these down for us genesis exodus isaiah jeremiah ezekiel daniel hosea micah zephaniah Zechariah, uh, zach Zachariah, malachi the psalms they all point to jesus And depending on which scholar you look at and which one you read, there are between two and four hundred prophecies that were fulfilled by the Messiah. That's a staggering amount. Of course, Jesus would not get rid of that. Because all of that pointed to this moment in time in his life. Of course, he didn't come to abolish or to negate it, to set it aside. He says, "I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them." Playero, fulfill. There's about ten different meanings of this word "fulfill," but I'm going to give you the top four. Number one is to obey. Um, he came to obey. The law and the prophets. That's certainly true. To tell fully. He will expand on this as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. That's a good possibility as well. To bring out the full meaning. That is certainly also a possibility. But what I think the word here, playro, refers to that Jesus is talking about, which Paul mentions, and I'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, it's this. To bring to its destined end. So certainly Jesus would obey the law. He would bring it out fully. um, He would tell it fully. But ultimately Jesus is telling them. I did not come to abolish the law. But to fulfill it. That means the law finds its destiny. In Christ. That also means that Christ fulfilled everything written by God in the Old Testament. So when Jesus said, I've not come to abolish it, I've come to fulfill it, it reaches its destiny in Christ. If you could live a perfect life before God under the law, it would be Jesus. Now, the question for us, and I know you've got it in your mind. That's why I wrote it down. New Testament, what does it mean? Well, the Apostle Paul mentions, and Jesus goes on and says, whoever teaches the least of these things will be called least. Whoever teaches greatest will be greatest. Um, But the Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 10.4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Remember, I just mentioned that word nomos. The Apostle Paul uses the exact same word. Nomos. It refers to the sacred writings. The word end is telos. Now, this word, telos, Christ is the end of the scripture for all who believes. Now, he's also referring here to the Old Testament. It has six different meanings, this word end. Number one, it could mean tax or revenue. Um, I don't like paying taxes, so we're not going to use this one. (laughs) Number two, wholly or entirely. Number three, point of time marking an end. Some scholars go there. I do not. Number four, Fits the context, the purpose or intent or goal. If you read it this way. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It means that when we trust in Christ, those who have trusted, who have put their faith in Christ, the law has been fulfilled because of our connection with Jesus Christ. The law now, which once would have brought death, gives us life by virtue of our connection with Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law. Paul would say it this way. It is imputed righteousness. The righteousness of Christ that lives in us. So Christ did everything. i read it again. Here it is. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who, who believes. That means that in Christ... We are righteous. And that's good news for us. Because we could not possibly do this on our own. The Apostle Paul is not setting aside this. He is merely stating the fact in Romans that for those who believe they are connected with Christ and therefore by that, everything that Christ did was satisfactory for their behalf John would write we have a great advocate with the Father it means that when we trust in Christ it brings about a right standing with God and that's where you live today if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you have a right standing with him it's not based on human effort human merit awards Not based on any of that. It is based on the fact of our connection with Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So, Christ brings the law to its destination. And the destination of of the law, the Old Testament screams a Messiah is coming. Now, if you're a Pharisee or a scribe listening to this, the scribes initially would not have had a problem, for I have not come to abolish the law. The scribes and the Pharisees would have been, yes, 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 but I've come to fulfill it. Whoa. You see the, you see the, you see the transition there. The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees were still looking for a Messiah. Now, Jesus arrives in a Sermon on the Mount, sitting down, talking to the crowd, says, I'm not abolishing it. I'm going to fulfill it. Whoa! On one end, they're all rejoicing. On the other end, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. This guy's going to upset the apple cart here. And then in verse 18, notice, For truly I say to you, when Jesus says, for truly in Scripture... He's saying, listen, this is important. This is important. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. You can read this and look at this and go, well, he's talking about when everything's finished and it's all said and done. No, this is a Hebrew idiom or hyperbole where Jesus is stretching something so far out that they would have to understand that this applies. Now listen to this. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I believe the all that is accomplished is when Jesus went to the cross. The stretch of it was to say, usually, you know, why do you worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log in yours? That's hyperbole. That's a a Jesus uh, idiom where he is stretching something to the extreme. No, this is very much getting ready to happen at the cross. So, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, what is Jesus talking about? we we'll pass from the law until all is accomplished. I think of Isaiah, the suffering servant. Who was that about? That was about Jesus. Is born borne our iniquities. He'll go to the cross. That's Old Testament, brothers and sisters. That's not New Testament. The iota. Um, that's the verse I just read there. But the iota is Yota, which is where we get the Hebrew word yod. So when Jesus says what he says here not one iota he is referring to this little letter right here you'll notice it's the smallest it's the smallest letter the iota is the smallest letter y- uh, yota and then yod as it comes down to us in the hebrew language and then jesus says one dot karaya Now, the Kariah, for those of you that are watching on Facebook, I'm getting ready to disappear. Don't worry. The dot is just a small little mark. I'm back, by the way, for those that are watching. Jesus is saying that even the microscopic letters will not pass until something's been fulfilled. Ultimately, I believe this is the cross because the cross reaches the fulfillment of the law in which Jesus dies in our place, becoming the righteousness of God for us. And then we have the righteousness of God living in us in the person of Jesus Christ. None of us will pass until it is fulfilled or accomplished. Now, this has three meanings. I didn't want to bore you. I just wrote this down, and you can listen to them. Until the end of the world, I don't believe that's correct. The law is still in force for the Jewish people. Until all the requirements are met. That's true. But I think what, what this accomplished word means until what it looks forward to arrives. Jesus is now on the scene. He is going to teach and expand here in chapters 5, 6, and 7 the kingdom of God and how the law will be transformed, fulfilling Jeremiah's prophecy in Jeremiah 33 when God will write his law on our hearts. It will be a new day. A new dispensation of grace will come upon the people of God who have trusted in Jesus Christ. That's what it looks forward to. Jesus is foretelling his cross and crucifixion. And of course, you cannot get rid of that. You cannot get rid of the Old Testament because the Old Testament shows and validates Jesus' now ministry to the world in which he showed up in. No way he could get rid of that. Plus, if he got rid of it, it would negate his ministry. So, on on one end, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those that are listening are, yeah, he's not going to get rid of it, but this guy's saying he's going to fulfill this. I'll tell you, that's where Jesus got into trouble. He got into trouble by saying, I am the telos. I am the destination of your law. And you could see, in some sense, they're a little nervous about that. Jesus will say that there's been false prophets among you and there will continue to be. So there's a little anxiety about Jesus saying this. I get that part. But the Pharisees and the scribes were pretty much corrupt by the time Jesus arrived. There were so many things, so many things that not all of them, I'm not saying all of them, but a good chunk of them were corrupt. And we'll get into that in just a minute. Craig Bloomberg in his commentary, With the coming of Christ, many aspects of the law are brought to complete fruition, is the need for sacrifices, on which read Hebrews. In other instances, certain requirements of the law endure till Christ's coming again. Classically, love your neighbor as yourself. See, the, the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes they always wanted to know what was the biggest. Jesus will deal with this right here. In short, Christian application of the Old Testament must always consider both the continuities and the discontinuities with the New Testament. In other words, on on one end, well, we don't do animal sacrifices anymore. We don't do ceremonial stuff anymore. But on the other end, there's a lot of good stuff in the Old Testament. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament is Joshua. His name means salvation. It's a picture of Jesus. When you read Joshua being raised up and crossing the Red Sea and uh, crossing the Red Sea and going into the land of Canaan, that's a picture of Jesus rising up and bringing his people into the to the promised land. So, so many things in the in the Old Testament, and I know some of the Old Testament is very hard. Secondly. Christians are to be obedient to the scriptures. We've, we've kind of established that. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least, Jesus going to the least, the yod, the yotah, Jesus, this is, this is the thing. This is, this is what I want you to remember. Jesus is into the little aspects. It's a part issue. It's not always doing the big thing where everybody can see. It's doing a small thing. And and Jesus said, whoever does the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be least in the kingdom of heaven. Huh. I love Jesus and his, his teachings are yeah, remarkable. But who did Jesus have in mind here? I can show you from the Gospel of Matthew. This is who he had in mind. This is uh, several chapters down the road yet. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you pay the tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides. (laughs) Hyperbole, I love it. You strain a gnat and swallow a camel. That's like there's this little gnat. But give me a camel. I'll swallow it. It's like we want to do the big things. But we leave out the little things. But whoever does them and teaches them will be great. In it. there seems to be here. There seems to be here two classes. Of believers. Those who say. Yeah. I don't want to do that. We don't need to do that. But we can do this. That's what he's talking about. (laughs) And there does seem to be two classes here. Some that are more elevated than others. By the way those two words least and great. Least meaning of little importance. Great Magos, which is the Hebrew or the Greek word for important. This is what it comes down to us today. I think. I think we can we can summarize verse nineteen this way. You have two people that are talking one day, and the girl says to the man, I'm a New Testament Christian. You know, in 30 years of pastoral ministry, I have heard that repeatedly. I am a New Testament Christian. That would be foreign to Jesus' mindset. We are a whole Testament Christian. But even with this, I am a New Testament Christian only when it doesn't step on my toes. Yeah, I don't want to do that one. I'm under grace. Uh, That one's kind of hard, so I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do the fuzzy one. No, 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 no. Everything in the Bible was written. All Scripture is breathed out for God, by God, and is profitable for teaching, correcting, and rebuking. All Scripture, not just the New Testament folks. What I'm trying to get us to see is the Old Testament is applicable to our lives. And some of the great stories of the Old Testament. And some of the dicier stories of the Old Testament. But it gives us a foundation for an image of who God is. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Christian life is to follow the God in whom we have been redeemed. That we are to go out and we are to walk according. Well, if we just hunker down in the New Testament, and I'm that's good, but if we just hunker down in the New Testament, we don't understand where we've come from. There are so many texts in the Old Testament. And I'm going to tell you something. Psalms is excellent. You can get so many wonderful, uplifting texts encouraging verses from the Psalms. They, they pass the test of time. So, yeah, this is, in, this is incorrect. When somebody says that to me, I say, well, you really mean you're, an, you're a whole-testament Christian. That is, you're the Old Testament and the New. Because uh, a lot of it points to Jesus. <laughs> And Jesus said, I fulfilled it all. Granted, we don't do the sacrifices. We don't do the ceremonial stuff anymore. But honor your mother and father. You know, that's in the Old Testament. I can give you 40 or 50 laws that can come right over. And it doesn't mean that we go to the other extreme either. It, listen. Listen. It's, it, we are by grace, but we should, as Paul says, never cheapen the grace of God. We, we can't go over here on this end either, and women should not wear pants in church. That is ludicrous. Women can't wear makeup. That's legalistic. That has nothing to do with the Scripture. The Scriptures do talk about women dressing moderately and modestly, But I want you to understand, these are the two camps, and the road is right here in the middle. Sometimes we may very well look legalistic. I refuse, as a pastor, God-called pastor into the ministry, confirmed all those years ago by those pastors and deacons from all over Europe. I refuse to, to say that abortion is okay. God is the creator of life. So there's sometimes I'm going to be looked at as crawl back in the hole that you came out of by the world. I don't care. I'm living for Jesus. But then there's sometimes we need to show a little more grace than we do. But the road, brothers and sisters, is here in the middle. With the understanding sometimes you'll move to the right Sometimes you'll move to the left, but mostly you're right in the middle. And you're trying to live for Jesus in every way that you can. So yeah, that's wrong. That was the first thing I thought of when I was writing this sermon out. This was before I knew that my pastor died. Um, I remember Charlie one time in a sermon in Germany he said, I was told whenever you're in a windstorm to grab onto something heavy. So he said, I grabbed my wife, Doris. <laughs> that's that's the kind of person that Charlie was. He always told me to use humor. Um, but yeah, that's not right. You are an Old Testament and New Testament Christian. I encourage you to read the Old Testament. It's full of great stories. Number three, Christians have a deep commitment to do what God requires, 520. This is a mind-boggler. I know the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, yes, bam, get them, Jesus. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Dikinosyene is the word for righteousness. And that is doing what God requires. So Jesus is telling the crowd as he's sitting there, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Man. If I'm a Jew listening to this, just an average Jew, I'm going, there ain't no way I can get in. if I have to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees? Not all of them were corrupt, but a good majority were. Um, I'll also make this argument in just a minute. These were the scribes. They were professional students and teachers of the law. They were the guys that today would be your seminary professors, uh, sometimes pastors and teachers, They were real professional. I mean, they spent hours writing. They were the scribes. The Pharisees, these guys in their long robes, that loved the attention. They would go into the marketplace. It's me. These guys. Talk about a swamp. This is who they were. Pharisees devoted to the observance of the Old Testament law and developing legal traditions. Jesus arrives on the scene. I'm here to fulfill the law and the prophets. The Pharisee goes, that's not in our traditions. Because see, these Pharisees would set the traditions along with the scribes. So when you have two corrupt systems, you have one corrupt religion. And Jesus did not fit in that box. We got to get rid of this guy. But you read this and you go, Jesus never said, you go back and you look at the language, Jesus never said that the Pharisees and scribes are going to heaven. Notice what Jesus said, unless you exceed the Pharisees and scribes. So there is a line in which even the Pharisees and the scribes cannot cross. You may have had godly scribes and you may have had godly pharisees but but you got to be more than that i want you to understand what jesus is saying here he's saying nobody can go to heaven at this particular point because none of them at that moment before jesus had gone to the cross he says i'm the destiny and i'm going to push this over when i get when i go to the cross and you pharisees and scribes and religious leaders and lawyers when you get me on trial and have me strung up. That's when this is going to come into play and you'll be able to be saved. What Jesus is saying at this point, nobody gets in. He's not saying, uh, you know, in, you got to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. Notice the language. Listen to it again. It, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you have to go beyond the scribes and the Pharisees to even get into heaven. And the average person listening to this going... Yeah, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes, they spend years. I'm just a little pottery maker. I don't know anything about all the laws and the rules. I don't know anything about that. And Jesus is saying, and you know, maybe tongue-in-cheek to the scribes and the Pharisees here, but when he says this, the scribes and the Pharisees may have become indignant to him. Because they realized ultimately that Jesus was saying they weren't good enough to get in. And that's that's the issue for us today. We are not good enough to get in. I love Deacon Glenn, and I think he's a godly man, but he can't get in on that. I tell you how he's getting in, the same way my pastor got in, the same way I'm getting in, is because I've trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's it. So when somebody says, "Well, I hope I go to heaven," I want to say, "You can know you are going to heaven if you trust in Christ." It's like people play this weighted game. Uh, if I do enough good and 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 it outweighs my bad, I'm going to get in. Jesus said, "You're all bad. All of us. None of us can get in on that system. Otherwise, I'm going to have to have come down here, right?" He wouldn't have had to come down here. If, if we got in on that system, he didn't have to go through all that. <laughs> in short, when Jesus says this last statement, he is leveling the ground. You've got to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees. By the way, you have to be me. And none of them were Jesus. None of them, you know, they're just sheep farmers and, and people that, that came up, the disciples were there, obviously. But um, he's saying, you know, you you got to be better than the Pharisees and the scribes, but there's really no, he doesn't, he said you have to exceed. He doesn't say what you had to exceed at. I worry as a pastor, I worry about people at times. Many of you worry about family members, friends. I still remember the first funeral I preached, I was scared to death. Dr. Windsor pulled me aside one day in class and he said, Michael, this is what you do. You preach to the living. Because I was young. I was young then. It was my first funeral. I'll never forget it. You never forget your first funeral. The week before, I'd gone up to the hospital at the request of his wife. He had tubes out of everywhere. And I said, would you like to trust in Christ? Just nod your head, yes, if you'd like to do that. And he looked at me, knowing full well that eternity is not far out. And he goes like this. He passes, and I have to preach his funeral. That's when I told Dr. Windsor, I'm worried because I don't know what to say. He didn't trust in Christ. Dr. Windsor said, preach to the living. Say something nice about him and preach to the living. That's exactly what I did. I still remember... Ernest at the back of the church when I walked in it getting full. Ernest stopped me and grabbed me, he said, That's gonna be me someday. And I said, You don't have to worry about it, Ernest. You're going to heaven. You've trusted in Christ. Yep, that's gonna be me someday. Is that why you're sitting back here so far away? He said, Yep, scared to death. (laughs) I said, Well, that makes two of us right now. (laughs) In closing, Jesus fulfills the law for us. Our job is to obey the scripture. Not cherry pick stuff that we like. And say, I don't want to do that because I'm under grace. And our lives should have a deep desire. It says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Our lives, and by the way, uh, that righteousness means to do what God requires. Go out this week. Do do what God requires. I, you're, you're not going to do it perfectly. Let me just tell you right up front. You're not going to do it perfectly. But we need to make an effort to do it perfectly. And when grace is needed, dispense grace. When love is needed, dispense love. When you're called to the carpet and you have to answer a question, Don't do that. This is what I believe. And what you're saying is, I don't believe. Sometimes that has to be the case. We have to be all right with that. This is an enormous statement. It would have shocked Jesus a listener because the scribes and the Pharisees were considered the ultimate examples of righteousness. To the Jewish listener, the statement, Jesus' statement meant no one could enter heaven. They knew it. To the average person trying to eke out a living, the Pharisees and were truly holy people, Jesus claimed that even they were not good enough. I know a lot of these people sitting here this morning. Some of you may have come across our website. Maybe some of you are just, you found us somehow. And you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior I would like you to uh, send me an "I am" on Facebook and I will talk to you after this worship is over to give you an opportunity to understand what it means to trust in Christ so my that's my invitation to those that are watching and I know a lot of you will watch it this week as well so if you've not trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to make sure of that Please, I am me.